This is our second session on Philippians 4, 10 to 13. So let's read it, uh, remind ourselves briefly what we saw last time, and then take one or two more steps this session and the next on these verses. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. So there's his spontaneous overflow of joy that is very great in their reviving their concern for him, meaning that they have uh, sent him gifts. Remember, just a few verses later, 418, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So that's the situation. They have finally been able to get a um, servant who's willing to risk his life to take their gifts all the way from Philippi to probably Rome or maybe Caesarea, wherever he was imprisoned. And it has arrived, the gifts have arrived, and he is overflowing with joy, and he expresses it without any hesitation. And yet, let's keep reading, you were indeed concerned for me. You can see that he doesn't want to be misunderstood here when he says, at length you have revived your concern for me. Please, please, don't misunderstand me as though this is a backhanded criticism. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So last time we saw that this is, this is his first effort to avoid a misunderstanding of his spontaneous overflow of joy, namely that his joy is a backhanded way of saying, you really have been delinquent in not having concern for me all this time. And he says, no, 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 you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. That's what he saw last time. And now comes his second effort to avoid misunderstanding, namely, the reason I'm so happy some of you are going to say, at, at having great joy at your sending me money is because I'm so frustrated that you haven't given me what I really want, money. I'm in it for the money. I think godliness is for gain. And so he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So this is number two. This is his second effort to avoid being misunderstood from his great joy over their gifts. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, Father, as we focus for just a few minutes on this second effort of Paul to be rightly understood in his expression of joy. Help us to learn how to discern how people are hearing us and help us even more than that to learn something of Paul's amazing contentment in prosperity and poverty. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the fundamental assertion that we're focusing on today is the assertion, namely, I am not speaking of being in need. Not that I am speaking of being in need. And what he means here by speaking is, when I just said, I rejoiced greatly 
that you have revived your concern, and Epaphroditus has arrived with bountiful gifts for me. When I say that, I am not speaking out of a craven lack and need that has created in me deep discontentment and frustration that needs to be satisfied with material things in order to be happy. That's not what I mean. And, and, and then the rest of this, you see that word for there? The rest of this is support. It's an argument for that statement. I am not speaking of being in need. It, my joy here over your gifts is not flowing out of my love for your gifts. It isn't. And of course, they're going to say, or somebody might, well, if it's not flowing out of your love for the gifts, what's it flowing out of? And we're going to get to that, but not today. Remember, a few verses later, he's going to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again, not that I seek the gift. Okay, what then? I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So that's his positive answer to, well, if I'm not rejoicing over material things per se, what am I rejoicing over in this gift that you sent? And his answer is going to be, I'm rejoicing over the fact that there's fruit increasing to your credit in the fact that you sent it. But let's save that for later. Right now, he's just defending the negative statement, I am not speaking. When I speak of my joy in your gift, I am not speaking out of being in need. Well, how can you defend such a thing? And this is one of the, the most profound parts of the letter right here. So let's read it and see what his argument is. Here's my ground. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Wow. Every situation, content. And then he specifies two kinds of situations. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. So whether I have much or whether I have little, in either situation, I am deeply heart peaceful and content and thus my joy does not depend on the material size of the gifts that you sent. And then he repeats the same thing in different words. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. So that corresponds to, I have learned whatever situation I am to be content. Here he says, I have learned the secret. So there's a, there's a learning here, and there's an entering into a mystery and a secret here, which we're going to talk about next time. I just want you to get the structure of the argument this time and see its implications. And then he specifies again what these any and every circumstance, you see how that corresponds to whatever situation corresponds to any and every circumstance. And he specifies, now, I know how to hunger, which corresponds to brought low, and I know how to be in need, which corresponds to brought low. 
And I know how to have plenty, which corresponds to abound, and I know how to have an abundance, which corresponds to that. So he's got three pairs brought low and abound. Hunger and plenty. Need and abundance. And all three are saying, my happiness is not essentially dependent upon whether I have much or am hungry, whether I have an abundance or need, whether I'm brought low and humiliated in miserable circumstances, or whether I'm abounding like I am right now with your gifts. None of that is essentially the foundation of my joy. That's what I want you to see. So when we get to verse 13, I can do all things. Now that's because he has learned. He has learned the secret. He has learned. And now because of the learning this secret and learning this, he is able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that gives a tremendous pointer and clue to what the secret is, right? And that's what we're going to take up next time. Through him who strengthens me must inform what this secret is or what he learned here for how to be so amazingly content in every circumstance. But the last thing I want us to see in this session is when you, I have heard this verse taken out of context so many times. I have done it myself in, in my younger years. The error is to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me as though all things meant you abound all the time through him who strengthens me. When in fact, this all things here, this all things is be brought low or abound. This all things is have plenty and hunger. This all things is be in abundance or be in need. In other words, all things means I can hunger through him who strengthens me. I can be in need through him who strengthens me. I can be brought low through him who strengthens me. That is so utterly crucial to see, lest we think that Paul's uh, happiness and joy and perseverance in the ministry hangs on Christ strengthening him always to abound. We know that's not the case. So wherein does this strength consist? How is this strengthening mediated to Paul such that he calls it the learning of a secret or the knowing how to be brought low? and abound. Next time.